So we're going to get into um, John 5 today, 1 to 16, if you want to open your Bibles, um, and talk about, the, the sermon is called The Healing Pools of Community, and we're going to talk about uh, the, the man at the pools of Bethesda, um, the healing pools of Bethesda. So uh, let's, let's read through it. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which is in Aramaic called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone, goes else, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick, up, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that, that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews, the Jews persecuted him. Um, so, this, uh, this man at, at the pools in Jerusalem, uh, he'd been an invalid, it says, for 38 years. And it says, Jesus... Jesus learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And yet still, he says, Jesus says to the man, do you want to be well? I mean, how rude of Jesus. <laughs> he's the guy, he's like, I've been here at this, these healing pools that are supposedly stirred by angels. And, and that's why all these invalids and, and that's why all the lame and the paralyzed and the blind are here to get well. And I've been here for you know, maybe 38 years. He's at least been sick for 38 years. He's probably been there a long time. And he's like, I'm trying to get in. Someone always beats me to it. And you ask me, do, you, do I want to be well? I mean, really? But why does Jesus ask him this? Um, let's look at the, the man's responses and, uh, and kind of see maybe where, where this is coming in. Um, so he says, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, for sure, this man cannot walk, and that is nothing to do with him, right? I mean, he is, he is lame. And yet he's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a tone in there, isn't it? Someone else gets down to the pool ahead of me. I have no one to put it in, no one, no one to, to take me down to the pool. And then further down in, um, 
let's see, when, when the Jews confront him about his healing, he says, uh, but he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So, so when the Jews confronted him about breaking the law on the Sabbath, he says, well, no, 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 it, it was this other guy who told me to pick up my mat and walk. It wasn't, you know, I, I didn't know. I, he, he healed me and he told me to do that. So I didn't have anything to do with it. Or at least that's how sort of I've been reading it. Um, and then go down again to, uh, let's see, uh, verse 14. And, or verse 15. So after, after Jesus had healed him, after the Jews confronted him, and after Jesus talked to him a second time at the temple, um, it says, uh, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So after he had been confronted by the Jews, and then he talked to Jesus again, he went back to the Jews and he said, Hey, it, it was, I didn't know who it was before, but it was this guy, Jesus. He was the guy who made me well and told me to pick up my mat and walk. It, it was that guy. And then John, the author of our story, says right in the next verse, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. So this guy reported Jesus to the Jews when when he didn't even have, I mean, he wasn't even confronted at the time. He went back to them and reported him. Um, so w- what is John trying to tell us? And, and why did Jesus ask this man, do you want to be made well? Um, well, let's look at what Jesus says to him the second time Jesus talks to him. He says, See, you are well again. He finds him at the temple, and he says, See, you are well again. You are made whole. You can walk. Look what God has done for you. And then it says, Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. And that's verse 14. Um, And it's not a one-to-one correlation of, you know, stop sinning, or, you know, something bad's going to happen. In John chapter 9, Jesus dispels this, you know, this theory, you know, if you sin, something bad's going to happen with, with the, the blind man. What Jesus is saying here is, um, is, is, is it's a warning. It's, it's be careful. Just because I've, I've, I've healed you doesn't mean the most important part of your healing is yet done. Is that it's, it's completely finished. Um... We look at this man and we see his legs and his disability, uh, and it's a major problem. But it's not his main problem. His main problem is his heart. It is, he's got a disturbance in his heart, and he, he blame shifts. I've got no one to put me in the water. It, it was that guy who told me to carry the mat. It, it was him. Um... Just because we get healing at one point does not mean that our challenges sometimes don't return. And that's what Jesus, I think, is saying. One of my favorite um, pastors, uh, Rankin Wilborn, who's a protege sort of of Tim Keller out of New York, he's one of the first pastors I, I, I got to know and preach. And he comes from a similar background that I did of, of not growing up in the church and, and um, losing his father. Um, talked about this and, and, and said, you know, it, 
We, we need to be careful. Jesus is saying, be careful of a light healing. And even though, you know, you'd think having your legs fixed is not a light healing, but it, 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 a powerful healing. But he says, the more powerful healing is in the heart, is our, is our disposition. And, and we need to, um, yeah, we need to, to be mindful of that. And, and so how do we, um, how do we get that, that healing? Um, so if there's anything I want you to come away with this morning, if there's any point to remember, any lesson learned, um, it is that uh, intimacy, getting intimacy with God, getting healing, and getting healing specifically in community, um, showing up is very important. And even more than showing up, showing up with courage. Showing up with the sort of Brene Brown type of courage that we've talked about in sermons past. She's a, uh, a shame researcher. She's a, uh, got really big on TED Talks, and, and she talks about authenticity, and she talks about vulnerability and putting light on shame and, and being, yeah, just, just putting it out there, unlike sort of the blame shifting we see of this man in John 5. Um, it requires, she, she gets into, we need to show up with the kind of, of uh, of courage that Teddy Roosevelt talks about in his, it's not the critic that counts, it's the man in the ring who's marred with sweat and blood and dust and who is daring greatly. Um, so although this passage isn't specifically about communities, um, what I'm, I'm wanting to encourage you all in this morning is that in community, to make community healthy, uh, we need to show up with that with that daring greatly courage for healing. Um, and that, that, that in this passage, it shows that, that we can't just show up, we can't just be healed one time. We need to have a posture of, of, of courage. We need to have a daily posture of, of, uh, of repentance. And, and Christian talked about the other week, sometimes the, um, the, the church will get into this... this, this um, this talk about sin and it's heavy, uh, but it kind of misses the very first part of the Bible of, of creation, the, the beauty of creation. And, and um, repentance can have that same heavy tone sometimes, but it's really not. It's, it's really just about, repentance is about connect, continually connecting with God. It's about continually turning toward God. It's about continually having your quiet times and, and prayer and um, yeah, connection with, in fellowship. So, um, it's, we start at 11, right? So that's my, my time. Yeah, okay. Just want to keep, keep, uh, keep track here. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, I want to take you through one, one short exercise. Um, uh, I want you to think back to the moment where you first came to, to God, to Jesus. Um, if you want to close your eyes, I'd encourage you to do that. and take. I'm going to give you a minute, and I want you to, to think back when he became, it may not be the, main, the moment when you, you, know, you accepted him. It may be the moment, a season when he became real. He became visceral, tangible. You, you could feel intimacy with him. What, what was going on? Was, who was there? Was the Holy Spirit? Was it Scripture? So I'm going to give you 
Give you a minute here. Now, in, that, in those memories, um, I want you to think, uh, think what, what role people, if any, and maybe some of you actually haven't even accepted uh, Jesus today, too, so if you haven't, just think of an intimate, maybe spiritual moment if you're there. Um, but for, for, for most of us, I think, think back to, to the role that people played, and I'll give you another couple, couple seconds. So I, I wanted you to, to go through some of those memories just to, to bring you back to a moment uh, of intimacy uh, with Jesus and with God and the Spirit and um, possibly remember the way that community played a role. And so if some of you are coming from more challenging seasons in, in small groups or, or other community settings, you can be brought back to... to yeah, how God uses people uh, in, our, in our journeys. Um, for me, I, uh, I didn't grow up a Christian at all. I grew up in a very secular home. And um, uh, losing my father was a big part of, of coming to Christ. And some co- college friends who were Christians encouraged me after I graduated to, to um, get involved. And I had a... I had a um, I had, a, I had a breakdown. I, I was hospitalized for suicidal ideation, wanting, wanting to, to just wanting to be over. I had a panic attack. I lost weight. I was 135 pounds at 5'11". I uh, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. Uh, and I, I joined this, this group. Um, I bumped into a college friend, a, a different college buddy, uh, uh, and joined a, a small group. And... Um, First year, we just kind of getting to know each other. I wasn't a Christian yet. I was going to church for maybe three or four years without calling myself a Christian. You never know how many book recommendations you get when you do that. Um, uh, and uh, it was it was it was an amazing time. And, and it, what it wasn't those guys are super special to me. And, and it wasn't just that they were special or they had some amazing touch of God. It was really more that God was really working in that group for me. Uh, and I came to Christ in that group, and I mean, the, the, I got, I, at 28, the first hospitalization was at 24, the second one was at 28 that I went through when I was in grad school, and, uh, and the, the first time, I, I didn't really have any people in my life that came to me and supported me in a way I really felt touched by, I really felt supported by, even my family, and, and the second time, all five guys just showed up at the hospital, like, the first night. Um, 
a couple weeks after I was discharged, one of the guys, I, I was scared again. I was, I was getting into some anxiety. And one of the guys slept on my floor. Um, and, you know, later in that small group, one of the other guys lost his mom to cancer. And we all drove to San Diego like that night just to support him. And, and these are some of the amazing experiences I had in this small group where I, I felt like we, we, we would talk through the Bible and, you know, I was like, I've never read the Bible. Can we just study the actual, you know, the actual Gospels and the actual? And so we, we did. And I was bringing up this, this more, uh, you know, new agey spiritual book my dad was super into at one point that I had read. And two weeks later, we come to group and, I'm, and, and my buddy had read the book to just be able to talk about it with me. Uh, and talk about, like, just the intellectual barriers I was having to Christ. And so these, these pictures of small groups were really powerful for me. It, it, just, it was a really amazing time. Um, later, uh, I, uh, as, we, as we went through that group, I, they challenged me to get uh, to... To face one of my to face an addiction of mine, pornography, and so uh, I shared a couple months back about my testimony there. And but if you weren't here for that, um, they encouraged me to start to go to a, a recovery group, a twelve-step group, uh, for it. And uh, I eventually did, and I've I've gotten amazing healing in that. Uh, and that was about ten years ago. Um, and so as life took us for that group, as life took us in different directions, and um, and it sort of started to dissipate for people, jobs and families and marriages. Um, I started really getting heavily into small groups, into uh, recovery small groups and, you know, weekly groups. And, and at times, it, at the beginning, they encouraged me to go to multiple meetings a week. And, and it's a really structured form of, of community and, and of putting light on shame and, and timing your shares. And um, if you've never been to a recovery group and, you know, for you know, telling you every day you need to make a call and talk about your shame, and so it's a very structured way of doing community, um, because a lot of people in those groups have struggle struggle with uh, with intimacy. I mean, it's they, they call it somewhat an intimacy disorder, um, and if God's most um, you know, if what he his ultimate desire for us is intimacy, and we struggle with that, that's a, a pretty harrowing thing, and so. Um, and it, Psalm 94 um, talks about, it says, blessed is, the one, um, blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble. So it's, it's kind of an oxymoron in a way. It says discipline, which we don't associate normally with relief. We associate sort of with like, you know, sort of pain and but when we, when we apply healthy discipline in our lives, healthy boundaries, it's, God says, you will be grant, grant them relief from days of their trouble. Relief. And so um, sometimes that heavy accountability talk and recovery talk can, can, can put on these feelings of, um, yeah, just it, it can sound heavy. And at the end, it really is. It's, it can really be healthy for people who going through that. Um, so my journey was going through recovery groups, um, and I started to try to go to some other small groups. As my, my, the one in my 20s had faded, and uh, I, I couldn't 
feel really connected. I'm like, wow, these recovery groups, they're so structured, and people are, you know, sharing, like, all these really dark, and it's so deep and intimate. Um, how could a normal small group actually do anything for me? Um, and I started to go to these groups, and I, I really kind of got a little jaded about regular small groups. And, um, you know, then I came to Frontier, got married to my lovely wife, um, and we wanted a... Uh, we joined um, the, the Curtises, our worship leaders here, uh, led a, a course called Love After Marriage. Uh, and we did it for maybe 10 weeks or so with a handful of couples. And um, it was really beautiful. And, and it was, they facilitated it, but it was, it's a curriculum done by a, a, therap- a Christian therapist from Reading, Bethel, and his wife. And... Um, you know, it really got into some spiritual things I've never done before, and I had an amazing encounter. Um, and uh, and it, it started to remind me how good, you know, groups can be other than recovery groups. And then, I, you know, thinking back to my one in the, the one in my 20s, it was really, um, I started to think, wow, like, yeah, there can be really amazing small groups. Um, and so, you know, we started with a small group here at, my wife and I started with a small group here at church, and after the Love After Marriage course ended, and um, you know, really got into like how do we, how do you make, you know, a group where you can't time people on their shares to make sure they're not oversharing, and and they're you know they're leaders, so you don't really want to do that. They don't really need that. Um, you know, how do you, how do you make this group really really good? And so I started to get into. Um, I bought this book, and we've been using it in our growth and groups growth. I can't say that name of that team. Groups and growth team. Uh, but uh, if you know Henry Cloud and John Townsend, um, they wrote a book called Making Small Groups Work and have a whole curriculum with it. Um, and, um, yeah, they have some really rich stuff. They're, they're noted Christian therapists as well. Uh, they wrote the book Boundaries, which was all-time bestseller, kicked off, and they had a lot of more very successful books. Um, and so they, they kind of get into some of this, uh, some of the, the stuff about why, you know, like why some groups, you know, how to make small groups work, how, how some are really healthy and vibrant, and how some from probably your own experience you know are, are more rich, and some haven't been quite as rich, and and, you know, what are some of the ingredients to make that happen? And, and there's no perfect formula or anything like that, but they get into a lot of the theology. And um, one, one picture they use is that um, of a garden and that um, God, does, God does the growing, um, but he encourages us to be the gardener. And so just as I want to encourage you to show up with that courageous, daring uh, that show up with courage uh, in small groups, in community, I think what Cloud and Townsend are saying is that um, you need to be the gardener. You need to make sure that if you want to have fruit in your backyard, you, you need to have the right soil and, and the right ingredients and, and make sure there's the proper amount of sun and water and nutrients in the soil. Um, and so, so in community, what does that look like? Um, so I think um, I lost my other sheet. Oh, there it is. Uh, they talk about three three elements that are 
really important to community, and especially small groups. They talk about grace, truth, and time. And if you add those ingredients together, whether it's a group on parenting, it's a group on dreams, it's a group on um, just, a, you know, a very in-depth Bible study and more discipleship or kind of group, that these elements apply, that uh, you'll get to the, to the goal of a lot of what this is, and that's reconciliation to God's image. That's, that's growth greater, you know, with... with getting closer to God's image. So with grace, um, I mean, a lot of us know what that is, but it, you know, in small group, you need the balance of grace and truth, right? You need, you need to be accepted as, as the broken people we are. Um, and we need to be, uh, and, and we need to be challenged, challenged in the areas that we, uh, that people in our group see and, you know, they like in the group in my 20s, they told me I needed to go to a recovery group. Um, so grace, truth, and obviously no one grows in a microwave, so um, time is important. So, um, so yeah, so today sort of marks a little bit of a kickoff of small groups in Frontier, and um, we want to encourage people to give that a try. And we also know that uh, it's not fully for everybody. Um, we are a small church, and so we have a handful of groups going, but we don't have, you know, a robust training curriculum for leaders that's, you know, already trained, you know, 20 different leaders in all the different small neighborhoods of Pasadena with open spots in your neighborhood on your night of the week at the right time. Um, so... We're doing our best, and we, we have opportunities, but um, we recognize that it, it, you know, if, if the right group isn't there for you, there might be other ways that you need to, you know, take that courage in community and try to get it in other ways. Um, so so we're, we're certainly not saying that, you know, you, you need to settle into a group that's not working for you. Uh, but we are encouraging you to try and that that might take time, right? That you need to give it six months, nine months, a year. Um, so um, let's see. So let's talk about a couple, a couple areas that might be helpful if you're not able or if a small group doesn't quite work out for you. A couple areas in life that could be helpful uh, in making sure you have enough community in your life. Um, so, uh, obviously having, having friends, but how do we get to that, that place of, of courageous authenticity? That we're not just like the man in John 5. When we, when we have our sin, we have our brokenness, we're just blame shifting and putting off on someone else. We need people to call it out in us. So, um, and a lot of this I'm taking from some of the strategies I learned in 10 years in 12-step and recovery groups. Um, how do we have friends that call us out? Well, I, I want to give you two, two variables, two characteristics of, of friends that can, that can uh, do that for you if you're not able to be in a small group. And the first is it's a person that challenges you in a healthy way. They don't necessarily have to be further down the road from you 
They don't necessarily have to have all the wisdom, but when you get together with them, they, they push you in a way that you feel more like, you know, more Christ-like. So that's one. Um, they're safe. You know, there are times where, where you can serve others and, you know, and be pouring out, but this is a person that it's more mutual. It's, it's, uh, it's going back. They challenge you in a healthy way. You give and you receive. Um, the second characteristic I would say is, and this is a really tough one for people in recovery groups, I feel like in small groups, and I've seen it time and time again, when, when, when we tell people in recovery groups they need to make calls and they, they need to, you know, break out of their isolation and get into community, um, this is a really challenging one. So the second one is, this is a person, it's m- most likely it's not the person you want. Most of the time, it's not the person you want to meet up with weekly. Most of the time, it's not the, the person that, you, you know, Tim Keller gave this amazing sermon once I heard on friendship, and he said, you know, the, the guy you play soccer with, although, you know, they might have an amazing, like, walk with pornography, and, and you know, you want to sit down with them all the time and meet up with them, they, they just want to play soccer with you. They, they like you for soccer, and they got a busy life, and it, it may not, they may meet up once and, you know, be, be generous, but it's, it's not going to work out for them to sit down every week, so... Um, this is the person, so the second characteristic is, is this is the person that calls you back. When you call and, and they pick up, that's the person. As long as they're that, that healthy person that challenges you, and they pick up and, and they call you back. And when, and when you ask them to meet up, they show up. And when you ask them for times to meet up, they tell you times. They're, they're the person that's available. Uh, not always the person that you want to meet up with. Um, so for, for people unable to get into sort of a, a healthy small group that you want, those are two characteristics of, of, of friends, uh, that, that you want to meet up with. One of the other, uh, sort of types of people in your life I really want to encourage you in is to have mentors. Mentors will not be able to get together with you as often, talk with you as often, and, and likely you will not be able to give much to them. They're a person that's going to be giving to you, and they will probably be getting mentored by someone else. So their, their balance is they get benefit out of just serving you, and, and they get fed elsewhere. So it's, it is really a place of receiving. And sometimes giving is harder than receiving. And so um, John Townsend uh, at a Celebrate Recovery International Conference in Saddleback Church, of, of, uh, they do an annual conference. He talked about how he went through a really stressful period and um, basically, he had stopped meeting up with his mentors on, on a consistent basis. He had five mentors, and, and he, he, he sort of dropped off the map. So, um, so, so if you're not able to kind of get in that small group, in that community that, that's really powerful, those are some tangible things you can walk away with uh, for looking for, for people to, to, to get deep with. Um, and, and really, when you're talking about those things, the things, it's that Brene Brown, daring greatly, vulnerable, confessing courage that you need to, to put forth there. Uh, so that's the, those are the things to talk about. Um, so let me just wrap it up. Um, yeah. Uh, um, 
was going to come back to this one note. Um, when I was in uh, the Love After Marriage um, small group that I was in uh, at the beginning of our church, um, I, uh, I had a spiritual experience. I wanted to share it briefly with you. And um, it was powerful, especially to me now, because my, my wife and I are expecting we have, uh, we're, we're 20 weeks in on a baby. Uh, we have not yet revealed the gender. Um, but uh, we, uh, I had, you know, that, in this, in this group, I, I shared that I was having trouble connecting with the Spirit. I, I find myself around more charismatic churches and people and art, artistry in Los Angeles. And, and yet, I'm like, why am I around these people? I'm from a business family. I went to a Presbyterian church for a long time. Like, what's going on? Um, and so uh, we sort of walked through this memory. And uh, uh, one of the other things I do for work is I, I lead youth in backpacking trips. So I take them to, you know, climb mountains and stuff like that. Um, and so I had this, this vision with the Lord, and, and the group walked, my, that small group walked me through it of, uh, of, of teaching, and it was, it was um, this had nothing to do with our gender, but I, I believe it was our, my son, teaching my son uh, about God on a mountaintop. And it was just a beautiful picture. Um, and it was so powerful for me having lost my dad and having a father-son moment and, and, and getting, being able to offer to my kid what I never had from my dad. And, uh, and so I just w- want you to know whether you feel like the man in, uh, in John 5 or, or, or whether you're, you're plugged in and, and you're just jiving to worship, um, that there's, there's hope for you. Uh, there's so much hope and there's so much joy. And, and if you're struggling in an area, um, maybe we can have the worship team start to come up. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that in community, um, the, the healing pools of community, there really are healing pools of community. They're not always healing pools of community, but there really are ones that are. So um, I think we're going to have some prayer time. You might lead us in that, but... Uh, Yeah, thank you for letting me share.